Hey listeners, welcome back to Death Walks With Us. Today's episode involves an older case from 130 years ago, but before we get into it, I would like to thank everyone who downloaded my episodes. It means the world to me. It took a bit to put myself out there, and the support I'm getting is amazing. I only expected maybe a dozen downloads, if that, but as of this moment, I had 78 downloads of the first episode. It really isn't that high of a number, but I hadn't expected that. But 78 people took the time to listen to my podcast. My major downloads are coming from my home state of New York. Uh, the top three being Cobaskill, Kasaki, and Schenectady. I had a lot of other downloads from all over the U.S. and all over the world. Most of those were in the U.K. and Italy. Thank you, everyone, for listening to my podcast. Now for some true crime news. So, a few days ago, I looked at my local news and saw that William Maxwell was being released after serving 30 years of his 16-to-life sentence for the murder of Penny Olmstead. I'm going to put a trigger warning here. He had brutally raped her with a tire iron and threw her while alive, into the river where she died. He has been released in Hudson, New York. One account said he may be living in Albany, New York. He is 56 years old. I do share a last name with this man, and that is what brought my attention to this man's case. What he did was horrific, and no one should go through that. At 56, he could still be a threat to his community. And I do think people should be aware of who lives in their community that could be a threat to their personal safety or their loved ones. But for now, I'm going to dive into this case. A lot of my information comes from the book Alice and Frida Forever, A Murder in Memphis by Alex Coe, and two scholarly articles, and they discuss the 1892 murder of 17-year-old Frida Ward by 19-year-old Alice Mitchell. Basically, Alice was heartbroken and it caused her tremendous suffering for months. The love of her life was no longer interested in her and for that, Frida had to die. Frida's murder shocked the nation. It became a national story. As we get into the case, you will completely understand why this became such a huge story in 1892. Alice and Frida had met in Tennessee at Hugby School for Young Ladies. This was a place that the better-off white Memphis daughters went. They, Frida's sister Joe, and Alice's best friend Lily quickly became friends and were always seen together. As you can imagine, this was well over a hundred years ago and a lot of things, including social interactions, were different. The ideology behind, say, sex relationships was just developing in Europe and the term lesbian would not be used in the U.S. for about 40 more years. And this case has a lot to do with gender ideology, which was stereotypical acceptable behaviors and norms for middle class men and women. Gender beliefs meant men were not expected to show affection towards women, but as it was believed women needed it, it was acceptable for women to develop close relationships with other women. So Alice and Frida's public displays of affection was acceptable behavior. They called it chumming. 
it was not seen as abnormal behavior. Middle-class women could hold onto each other and kiss each other. Homosexuality may have been prohibited because of the spilling of the seed, but as sex was considered a reproductive act, two women could not reproduce so their actions were not seen as sexual acts, nor prohibited. So in that age, as Alice became obsessed with Frida, she would have had no one to talk to about her developing feelings. But things changed for this young couple. Soon, Frida's oldest sister, Miss Ada Volkmore, moved to Goldust, Arkansas, and their father, widowed Thomas Ward, moved there as he needed her help with raising his other two daughters, Frida and Joe. The move was good for Thomas as he prospered there, but it was hard on Alice, who did not like the long times apart from Frida. Frida would visit for weeks at a time, but still there were long weeks apart. When they were together, Alice and Frida spent every moment together, even sharing the same bed at night, as that was what people did back then. But what they did in bed was between them. Being apart from Alice, Frida started seeing men, and when Alice found out, she became super jealous of it. One trip to Memphis, Frida confessed to Alice that she loved two men. On the last night of Frida's stay, Alice laid awake in bed, clutching a bottle of poison, landonum, which is a very potent mix of alcohol and opium. Alice was hoping to get it past Frida's lips and then take the rest herself. But this was not to happen. For one, Alice did not know if she had enough for the both of them, and then Frida woke up to Alice staring at her with the bottle. They'd laid awake that way for hours. Frida never left nor told anyone about it, and the next day, when Frida boarded the boat to go home, Alice followed her and drowned the whole bottle, telling Frida to marry whoever she wanted. But Alice did not die and nothing seemed to come of that incident. Now, today we would see this as a red flag to Frida's safety, and if you know anyone that is in a relationship with the other threatens suicide if they leave them, encourage them to leave and seek help. There are resources out there. Do not stay in a relationship just because they threaten to kill themselves if you leave. That is power and control. You deserve happiness, and if they do actually kill themselves, it is not your fault. You do not control their actions. Alice did it to control Frida, to psychologically damage her with her death. It's abuse. If they do kill themselves, it is because they want to harm you, to destroy you. That's why you need to leave ASAP. It is not healthy behavior. Now on to some late 1890s cultural aspects. The cult of domesticity was the reigning middle-class family values at the time, and Alice had the option of either marrying or staying single, which she then would be under her father, then her brother's rule and control. Women of her status did not work outside the home, nor did they work inside the home, but filled their days with leisure activities, such as reading, letter writings, and knitting. And that is what Alice and Frida had to look forward to. Alice wanted to spend her life with Frida. First thing she did was propose to Frida in a letter, and Frida said yes. Alice then gave her an engagement ring. Alice knew their love had to be kept secret, as it would not be accepted, but Frida seemed to act like 
1890s typical girls did with chumming. She may have not taken it as seriously as Alice. She may have seen it as chumming, the socially acceptable way for women to practice relationships before marriage. Now, the real haunting part of Alice's letters to Frida was that she wrote to Frida that if she broke off their engagement, Alice would kill her. This is toxic, and it's hard to judge a 17-year-old from the 1890s and understand how did she not see this as a threat and should have cut off all communication. This time period, they did not talk about relationships. Young people, especially young teenagers, did not really have an understanding of the dynamics. They learned from observations. So if no one talked to them about healthy relationships, she would not have seen how this should have ended the relationship. She may have just seen it as Alice being dramatic. Alice also demanded extreme obedience from Frida. As Frida was to be the wife, she was to be obedient to Alice. She told Frida what was to be expected from her in her new role as Alice's wife. I hate to say it, but this was acceptable. Men and women were expected to perform certain gender roles when they married. Not today. Today, this would be considered toxic behavior. Alice also wrote to Frida about becoming a man to please her. Alice would live as a man, taking the name of Alvin J. Ward. Alice was not transgender. It was just a means to an end. The only way Alice and Frida could live together and financially support themselves would be to disguise one of them as a man to earn a man's income. Men and women did not earn the same income. Men's income was seen as a way to support them and their family, while women's income was seen as what they called pin money, money for her to have to buy herself extras. Even when a woman was widowed and supporting herself and children, she still could not earn enough money for them to survive. It was actually socially acceptable in the lower classes for women to live together with other women and their children and have one of them disguise themselves as a man to earn a man's income from the all to survive. It was a form of economic survival and was seen as socially acceptable. Now, Alice was jealous and very possessive of Frida, and it seemed Frida did not take the relationship as seriously as Alice. This is not Frida's fault. It seemed she filed more the socially acceptable form of chumming than Alice. Frida pursued acceptable relationships with male admirers, including 23-year-old Ashley Rosley, a man. As Ashley was a popular male's name, I mean, just watch Gone with the Wind. Today, we would recognize the signs of Alice's obsession with Frida. When Alice visited Frida, she would try to learn who associated with Frida, who was Frida's friends in Arkansas. And then she would either question them in person about Frida's movements and who was visiting Frida and talking to Frida, or she would write these people letters when she got home. She wanted to learn all of Frida's movements. Alice was able to keep tabs on Frida through these tactics. She stalked Frida. Frida kind of did not help the situation with her letters of love to Alice, but she was a naive girl who probably did not recognize Alice's jealousy for what it was. But you know what? That 
doesn't really matter. Alice's ultimate decision was not Frida's fault in any way. Frida was 17, trying to figure out her own emotions, and unfortunately had to decide her future, and being a middle-class woman, her only real option was to marry a man. I believe she loved Alice, but I do not know if she loved her as a romantic partner or loved her as an extremely close friend. Some of what she wrote to Alice could have been just to please Alice, to keep their friendship going, as Frida seemed to be developing feelings for Ashley. She wrote to Alice that she would not talk to Ashley at an upcoming picnic they both were to attend, and she also wrote that she would write to Ashley about Alvin, a.k.a. Alice, as she was trying to please Alice. Alice then started writing in her letters that she would kill Ashley because of her jealousy. I'm just going to read a small part of one of Alice's letters to Frida. This part is after Alice telling Frida she would kill Ashley. Oh, and she's calling Frida Singh in it. Quote, please be true to me, Singh, and I won't do anything wrong as long as you are true to me. I don't mean to do Ashley any harm, but if you still make me Jay, unreadable, I assume jealous, and deceive me, I will. I hate to do it, but you will be the cause of it. Skip a bit, and then towards the end, sweet one, you have done me mean, but I love you still with all your faults. She so many red flags in this letter. It's manipulative and gaslighting. I know people's emotions can be pretty raw. They are hurt by the ones they love, but you cannot threaten another person's life because of your jealousy. Alice did it to control Frida's emotions, to bring them back to her. In another letter, Alice wrote of being jealous because of Frida's attention to Ashley and another man named Harry. In this letter, she reminded Frida of what she had wrote about if Frida did her wrong in her last letter. Basically, if Frida stopped returning her love, Alice would kill Ashley. After reminding her of the previous letter, she told her how she was looking at pistols to uphold that promise. These are clear threats on Frida's and Ashley's life. It's no wonder Frida kept writing her, promising her love. Alice had written a few times in the past that she would kill Frida if she stopped returning her love and now was threatening Ashley's life. These letters were troubling. Alice and Frida did have a plan to run away together and marry to live life together as husband and wife. So on the day they had planned, Frida did the nightly ritual of eating dinner with her family, then headed to bed, where she did not get dressed for bed, but sat and waited for the boat to announce itself, which would be her signal to leave to catch the boat to go to Memphis for the two to marry and head out into the world to start their lives as husband and wife. But Frida's sister had discovered the plan. Frida lived with her eldest sister, Ada, and Ada had witnessed her relationship develop with Alice. Ada saw the increase in affection, but from lack of knowledge in the language of same-sex relationships, Ada just thought them to be excessive in their affection. It did bother her, but Alice appeared to be what was considered a good girl. She did not flirt with men, nor dress inappropriate, and kept Frida safely occupied while Ada was trying to set up her own new house. The family thought the letter writing had gotten excessive and limited their writing to twice weekly, but that had not stopped the girls and they used pseudonyms, but Ada wasn't a dummy as they came from the same area with the same handwriting. 
Ada let it go because they really did not have much else to do to fill their times. But then Ada read them, and boy was she shocked when she read about their love for each other. Ada eventually discovered the plan for Frida to leave, and on that night, once Frida went to her room, Ada waited outside while her husband waited on the front porch. Now William, Ada's husband, did this because he believed a man had to be involved. There were tales circling at the time of young women being tricked by men into sneaking away with them, and these women would later be found ruined in brothels. That is what William thought was going to happen. He thought that Alice was really writing for a man that wanted to trick Frida into leaving. He could not grasp that these two wanted to run away together. It had to be a man to him. After this, Ada would have no more Alice and wrote to Alice and her family. Ada banned Alice from Frida's life. She returned everything that Alice had sent Frida, including the engagement ring. Plus, she sent her any money that Frida owed Alice, and if she had owed any more money to contact Ada, and she would pay her. Ada wanted Alice to have no reason to contact Frida. Ada called her foolish, and to stay home and take care of her own business. Following proper social etiquette, Ada sent a letter to Alice's mother, Isabella. Isabella thought Ada was over-exaggerating, as she also did not understand the concept of same-sex relationship, but she, in the end, banned Alice from seeing Frida. Alice could play the obedient daughter to her mother, but Alice had no intentions of staying away from Frida. Alice sent a letter telling Frida she forgave her and that she knew it was everyone else turning Frida against her and asked for one last meeting before they stayed away from each other, but Alice never did get a response from Frida. Alice blamed Frida's family for not getting a letter back. She did not seem to believe that maybe Frida chose not to respond. Maybe Frida did not know how to end a relationship with Alice because she did not have an understanding of what was going on. It was different times, and there seemed to be a lack of guidance on how to handle relationships. Frida may not have understood exactly what was going on. Frida may have encouraged the relationship, but she may have only saw it as a friendship, a deeply devoted love affair between friends. Who knows? But we know that to Alice, it was love, an obsessive love. Alice suffered tremendously from a broken heart. She isolated herself from her family, barely ate, which caused her to lose weight, and she spent hours staring at Frida's pictures and reading her letters. When there were deliveries to her house, Alice would sign Frida's name, which she later does not recall doing, but says she probably did because she was always thinking of Frida. Then in November, she stole her father's razor. Realizing she would never get to be able to be with Frida as their families kept them apart, she carried that razor on her in case she ever ran into Frida. The ending of this relationship did not just affect Alice and Frida. Joe, Frida's sister, cut off her friendship with Alice's best friend Lily, who had no idea of the extent of Alice and Frida's relationship, nor had any idea of what had happened. In Alice's obsession, she had Lily write to Ashley, and Lily tried, but it did not go to 
this is pleasing. So Alice instead started writing to Ashley. She was trying to flatter him and gauge the extent of his relationship with Frida. He even agreed to meet her out of obligation in Memphis while he was there. But Alice could not get anything from him, nor any sign of affection from him. Then Alice heard Frida was coming for a visit to Memphis. Alice was excited. She felt that she had not been able to communicate with Frida because of Ada's watchful eye, but now Frida would be out from underneath it. Alice sent two letters to where Frida would be staying to meet. Without waiting for a reply, Alice went to the address to see Frida. Alice felt encouraged to do this because she received one of the letters back with Frida's handwriting saying, Return the sender. Somehow she interpreted that as a sign that Frida wanted to see her. Alice found Frida walking outside by herself. She watched her go into a building, and when she came out, she walked right past Alice with no acknowledgement of her existence and went into another house. Alice was too in shock to use that razor. She thought that maybe Frida did not see her, so Alice returned home to wait. Frida sent Alice a letter telling her she did love her, but it was forbidden and she was going to obey her sister, and Frida asked for Alice's forgiveness. This angered Alice, as Frida was supposed to be obedient to her, but was now clearly being obedient to her sister. Frida had included in the letter when they would be leaving, and Alice headed to the docks to confront Frida on that day before she left. But it had been a lie. That ship had, was not leaving at the time that Frida had told her. The 25th was a cold January morning after days of heavy snowfall. Alice was able for the first time take the horse-drawn sled downtown. She needed to see Frida before she left. Whereas men could come and go as they pleased and unquestioned, being a middle-class female, she could not just leave without a good excuse, and as her relationship was now forbidden, seeing Frida was not an acceptable excuse to travel in the heavy snowfall. As the snow cleared, it would then be acceptable for middle-class girls to ride their sleds aimlessly around, and Alice took advantage of that. After picking up her friend Lily, Johnson, and Lily's nephew, they headed to the house where Frida had been staying. That is where, for the past month, Alice had been stalking Frida. Usually, they had stayed at Alice's house when they visited, but because of the letters, Frida and Joe stayed at this widow's house in a different location. Through careful knowledge of shipping schedules, Alice deducted that Frida and Joe would be leaving Memphis on the Aura Lee on January 25th. The time of departure she was unsure of, but Alice knew she had to catch Frida before it departed. That was her, her goal on that cold January morning. Frida, Joe, and a couple of other friends slowly made their way down to the docks. They had to be careful as the ground was extremely slippery from ice. As Alice sat in her buggy, she searched Frida's face as they passed, looking for any sign. Frida had gone over with Alice different expressions and what they were to mean. Alice swears Frida winked with her right eye, was saying note, I love you, and Alice thought this meant she was ready. Alice probably needed to see it in her mind to justify what she was about to do. Alice got out of her buggy and went 
out after the party. As Alice reached Frida, she pulled out that stolen razor and cut her. Joe noticed and being the protective sister, attacked Alice with her umbrella, allowing Frida to escape. Alice cut Joe on her collarbone. Joe screamed to Alice that she would see her hang for this, which Alice replied, I don't care if I'm hanged. I want to die anyhow and then went after Frida. She caught up to her as Frida had fallen because of the snow. She slashed her face again and then grabbed her hair, pulled her head back, and slit her throat from ear to ear. Frida crumbled to the ground. Alice had not thought about others being there. Her plan had been to cut her own throat and die with Frida, but with struggling with the crowd, Alice lost track of the razor and had to flee. In the carriage, she asked Lily if Frida's blood was on her face, and then told Lily to leave it alone. It was Frida's blood, and she loved her. Frida was carried to a nearby office where she bled to death before a doctor could get to her. Within the hour, the chief of police went to Alice's house, where she was arrested for the murder of Frida. Due to Alice's family status, the chief promised to look after Alice. Her father went and hired the two best lawyers the town had. One in the future would be the Secretary of War under President Theodore Roosevelt, a one George Nat Gannat. Alice's father decided, not Alice, that Alice's plea would be insanity, as he could not grasp Alice's own reason for murdering Frida, that she loved her, and basically if she could not have Frida, no one else would. Alice's father, George Mitchell, had a history of deciding psychiatric diagnosis for family members. He had institutionalized his own wife, Alice's mother, Isabella, three times, each time after giving birth to their children, for behavior that was not wifely nor motherly. It was most likely postpartum depression. 1892 Memphis had a hard time understanding Alice. Many newspapers tried to help with that understanding, and Alice was painted as unnatural and gender deviant. This was a time with strict gender norms. Basically, gender norms are stereotypes of what one is to do based on their biological sex, and they considered it natural, a natural reflection of God's will. Gender is a social construction. Biological sex is based on one's reproductive system, and society said because you have a uterus, you are to wear dresses and stay home and serve the man of the house, and society could not understand women who did not want that. Many were deemed insane because they wanted more to life than being a housewife. Anything outside of society's strict gender notions were gender deviant, and sometimes people could go to jail for not following those strict gender norms. Alice was diagnosed with erotomania, unnatural affection between two people of the same sex. In other words, she was diagnosed as insane for loving someone of the same sex because society said it was unnatural at the time. So anyways, the police had given Joe, Frida's sister, some time, but they still needed to conduct their investigation. After her family arrived from Gold Dust and they had been to the funeral home, Joe was interviewed, and this was when Lily was placed at the scene, so they arrested Lily. Both Alice and Lily were soon indicted for murder, but neither would ever face trial for the murder. 
When the murder had happened, Lily had seemed oblivious to what was going on. She had sat in the carriage thinking Alice was just going to talk to Frida, and now she shared a private room. A room, not a cell, but private rooms that are used as cells for certain prisoners. The other one was occupied by an attorney who had murdered his wife's lover. This was 1892. They could not put two white, well-to-do ladies in the communal cell with regular people, especially with the strict racial hierarchy that was strictly enforced. This was before Pelosi vs. Ferguson, but many places were segregating the races before that case made it the norm throughout the South. Courts have always been a source of I know I will probably get criticized for this word, but they were a source of entertainment. From before the founding of the country, people would take the day off from work and travel to court to watch the proceedings. I read this article on a county in Virginia at the turn of the 18th century and how people would sell their wares in the porch of the court because people came from all over for the proceedings. That court was right next to a business that sold alcohol, so while people waited their turn, they would get drunk and it offered more entertainment to those in attendance. It was a way for lower class people to get public amusement at the upper class's expense as the courts exposed their secrets and misdeeds. After the American Civil War, the newly freed black population would take the day off to go to court like white people and that would piss off their, um, quote, employer as they expected their black employees, not the white ones, to work and not enjoy what was seen as a white activity of going to court once a month. So court watching has pretty much always been a thing in this country for entertainment. Alexis Coe really goes into the public display this trial became in Alice and Frida Forever, which I strongly encourage you to read. This case was huge and really played out on the public stage and is covered in depth in Alice and Frida Forever. A little side note on the judge, the judge in Alice's case had been a leader in the Ku Klux Klan. He was not a good man and would be impeached and convicted a year after this case for misdeeds on the bench, but eventually that didn't matter and they restored him back to the judgeship. Now, for my non-American listeners, um, if you don't know who the Ku Klux Klan is, they are a white supremacist group that started after the ending of the um, American Civil War. They were done to terrorize uh, the newly free black population. They never died out. They've always been there in the background. But then they had a resurrection in the 1920s and that's where like kind of the popular image of them in bedsheets came from. Thousands of people have lost their lives to people in the KKK mostly black males, and they have also at the same time brutally raped and tortured thousands of black women. They are a disgusting group of human beings. And that's my little short unexpected lesson on the KKK. All right. For white well-to-do ladies, performances of gender were strictly enforced. And for Alice and Lily, they needed to give their biggest performance ever as their lives counted on it. For Lily, she had to perform in public that feminine weakness that was expected of someone of her status, unwillingly in the public spare. 
strict gender norms divided male and female spheres. Men's place was in the public sphere and women's was in the domestic sphere. Those were their worlds. Lower class women were not seen as ladies. Many had to work alongside their husbands to support their families, which meant they were in the public sphere. And because they had to be in the public sphere, they could not be ladies as ladies stayed out of the public sphere. I guess I really want to point out the class divide between women and being a lady so anyone listening knows these gender expectations did not apply to all women. It was gender deviant for a woman to willingly want to be in the public sphere, so Lily would have to perform extreme weakness to show that she did not want to be there. For example, at one point, Joe called Lily a flirt, and her public performance of being so upset ended court proceedings for the day. She performed her gender perfectly. There was extreme importance in their performance of gender. Lily had to perform a delicate woman in the public court, even so far as having her male relatives practically carry her into court. I want to say there was a time when it was considered unladylike for a lady to be placed on the stand and give public testimony. Ladies were kept from having to be called to the stand. So basically, a lady had to perform fragility in the courtroom to keep her lady status. Ladies were taught from childhood on how to perform their gender roles, and many went to private schools that taught these gender roles. Remember, Alice and Frida met at one, along with Joe and Lily meeting at the same school. Lily's delicateness was taken into consideration by the judge, who repeatedly excused her in the middle of her questioning because she acted so fragile. Even the prosecutor was delicate in his questioning of her, and it worked. Lily did not spend that much time in jail. Her health was failing, so she was granted bail, leaving Alice to spend a few months alone in a jail cell. To get a sense of the terror Alice might have experienced in jail, I'm going to discuss some racist history that is covered in Alice and Frida Forever. So trigger warning, this concerns a horrific racist act that caused the rise of the political activist Ida B. Wells. On March 9, 1892, the same jail building that Alice occupied, three African-American men were dragged out and lynched, which there's some speculation that the judge in Alice's case may have been in that crowd. These three men were lynched because one of them had economic success in his grocery store that caused a white grocer to become extremely jealous. He had success because the black community went to his store and set up a white racist store. Ida B. Wells tore apart the argument that lynching was only done because black men raped white women, and in print stated that basically white women were not raped but sought out sexual relations with black men. This infuriated white society. The suggestion that white women would willingly want sexual relations with black men was enough for cause to lynch a woman. They wanted to lynch Ida B. Wells. The protection of ladyhood was not extended to black women, no matter their economic status. Also, the protection of white womanhood did not extend to the home as white men in the home were greater threat to white women than black men. Lynching mostly happened to black men, but it did happen to women. 
more so black women than white women. But to Alice, knowing they did lynch people accused of murdering well-to-do women, other white women had been, she may have thought they were coming to get her and could have been terrified hearing the rioters break in. In Alice's trial, which this was an insanity trial, not a criminal trial, her lawyers had to paint her as insane as possible, and they did that through claiming hereditary insanity from her mother, who most likely suffered from postpartum depression. I do want to point out that women were encouraged to think happy thoughts when pregnant so their babies' minds would not be affected from negative thoughts. I don't know how that would work, but that was the belief. Also, used against Alice to show she was insane, was her history of a lack of interest in boys and preference for women. Women loving other women was normal and not a sign of insanity, but a woman wanting to marry another woman was considered insanity. Even Alice's left-handedness was used as proof of her insanity. I do know nuns used to beat children in Catholic schools that was left-handed because it was the sign of the devil. Alice took the stand where she acknowledged she had intended to kill Frida when asked why she said, quote, because I could not have her. Frida was a possession. It took the all-white male jury 20 minutes to find her presently insane the term used back then for insanity verdicts. And on August 1st, 1892, she was to be committed to the Western Hospital for the Insane, where she faded from public life. This case was huge in 1892, and many newspapers had covered it extensively. That is, until a bigger murder happened three days after she was committed, on August 4th, 1892, when the alleged murderess Lizzie Burden entered popular culture, overshadowing Alice, even today, I mean, who doesn't know of Lizzie and her 40 wax? Alice Mitchell died on March 31, 1898, at 25 years old. There is some speculation as to how she died. She could have died of consumption, starving herself to death, or, as one of the attorneys who worked her case claimed 32 years after her death, that she drowned herself in the asylum's water tower. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, the asylum may have tried to cover up suicide, but this kind of seems like sensationalism. I don't know. Alice never stood trial for the murder of Frida Ward, as she died before she could be considered sane enough to stand trial. As to Lily, eventually all the charges were dropped against her. Many did not believe Alice could have done it. It was hard for them to comprehend that Alice, a female, could have loved a girl so much she killed her. Newspapers speculated that it had to have been a man, a woman could not have done what Alice did. One reason, it was Alice's choice of weapon. She chose a razor, a masculine weapon, but also, at the time, it was seen as a black man's weapon. Black people were not able to buy guns during this time period, as the South had very strict gun laws that banned black ownership of guns. So many thought a white, well-to-do woman could not have done it based on weapon choice. Another theory was that Alice killed Frida out of jealousy over man. By their accounts, 
Frida was way better looking than Alice, and that's why Alice slashed her face before killing her. They took away her agency because they did not understand her. This was tragic because their same-sex love was not understood in 1892 Tennessee. Their relationship was considered wrong and unnatural. They were not allowed to develop their relationship, but that still did not give Alice the right to take Frida's life away from Frida. Alice was a heartbroken person who wanted to end her suffering and felt she was entitled to end Frida's life. She wanted Frida to die loving her so that Frida would never love anyone else. This was a dark obsession that ended many lives that cold January day, and that was the case of Alice's dark obsession. Next week, I will be diving into a horrific case that involves the Amish community. You can join my Facebook group for this podcast. It's Death Walks With Us. And that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this episode.